0: Lord God, take my words and speak through them. Take our hearts and speak to them. Holy Spirit, bring conviction to our hearts through your word and initiate healing and transformation in our lives, all for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, we're going to be looking at our passage from Mark. If you want to... Mark that off at this point. It's on page 838 from Mark chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at religion versus relationship. Now, as I'm going to be discussing and referring to religion this morning, it's religion in the sense of rules and rule following. And I'm going to contrast that kind of religion with relationship. We're going to have three points as we walk through this sermon. First, we're going to look at the letter of the law. Then we're going to look at Sabbath. And finally, we're going to look at three men, Jesus, David, and Saul. So first, the letter of the law. How does the saying go? The letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. The letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. So a few weeks ago, I was talking with a JSO officer. Just biding time, I was at the uh, tax collector's office, and he started to tell me a story. He recalled a recent shift where he was just driving up the highway in his car, his cruiser, and a car went by him. He said they had to have been going 100 miles an hour. And as he turned on his lights, he thought, not very smart. So he pulled them over, and as he walked up to the car he heard a frantic male voice yelling, my wife is in labor. That's when the officer noticed the very pregnant woman in the back seat. Do you want to deliver the baby here or can I keep going? The letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Was the man guilty of exceeding the speed limit? Yes. And the officer said, drive safely and quickly. Goodbye. So what was their penalty? Well, the police officer let the penalty go. He had the power to do so. He let them go. This morning I want to apply this analogy of the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law to God. You see, God created the world through a little history. History. A little summary. He created the world and he created mankind in his own image, male and female. He loved his creation. But they rebelled against him. And in their rebellion, they introduced sin into creation. But God still loved them. He clothed them and then he sent them into the world. Later, he chose a man to be the father of a nation. A nation who would be God's people. And I'm talking about Abram. God said through Abram, he would bring blessing to all nations. This people, the Israelites, would be God's instrument of blessing, ultimately of salvation, and of restored relationship with him. So, in the course of loving his people, of loving creation. God gave his people the law, a set of rules to live by. The letter of the law was simple. Obey these rules and you will be in right relationship with God. Break these rules and sin will come in between you and God. It will interrupt your relationship with God. So disobedience to God equates to sin obey, and essentially you earn your way into God's presence, into God's pleasure by following the rules, the letter of the law. God also wrote into the law consequences for sin, but he wrote in that with the right sacrifices, your sin could be atoned for, whether it be an animal or whether it be an offering. There was something you could do if you sinned to get back into right relationship with God. There wasn't a police officer at that point that could set the penalty aside for us or for any Jewish man or woman. The penalty stood until it was paid for. It was a set of rules, but that wasn't what God intended. He didn't intend for a legalistic, rule-following society. His desire, as he loved mankind, was relationships. Remember, he loved his creation. And as he had in the beginning, as he walked in the cool of the day with the man and the woman, he desires relationship with every man and woman. The law's purpose, the spirit of the law, was to restore relationship between God and mankind. It was intended for relationship to satisfy the consequences of sin and restore that relationship. So that's the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. Brings us to our second point, Sabbath. And we read this morning from Deuteronomy 5, the giving of the Ten Commandments where God spoke his law to Moses for his people. Now, Sabbath rest was what number of the commandments? Does anybody know? How about four? Is the fourth commandment. I know we don't all have it memorized, and some of you may have been trying to go through them. It was the fourth commandment, but it was perhaps the supremely important commandment, the supremely important demonstration of a Jew's loyalty to God and of what distinguished the Israelites from the rest of the world. Sabbath was unique to them. Beyond any other nation, there was never before a God who had a relationship with his worshipers, where that relationship involved a weekly cessation of work, no work at all on the seventh day every single week, and I will provide for you, God said. And it wasn't just the man or his wife, but it was their slaves, it was their animals, everything was to stop, no work, and I would provide. That was distinct. So Sabbath rest, it said, do no work. They do no work. Your animals do no work. Nobody works. Well, what's work? How do I know if what I'm doing could be qualified as work? And the Jewish religious leaders took care of that. They added a second layer of rules to flesh out the Sabbath so that it would be clear. This is how you honor the Sabbath. What you're permitted to do and what you're not permitted to do. The letter of the law was rules. Obey them and you're okay on the Sabbath. In a sense, earning God's approval. But remember, the spirit of the law is relationship. The Sabbath was all about relationship. It wasn't just about not working. It was to be a day holy to the Lord. To remember God's miraculous provision, remember his love for his people, to worship him. Ultimately, the Sabbath was a gift intended for relationship. And that brings us to our passage from Mark chapter 2, at the top of page 838. Our reading begins with Jesus and his disciples On the Sabbath, it says. One Sabbath, verse 23, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. Okay. It sounds like Jesus and his disciples know that it's the Sabbath. Do you agree? Okay. Do you think they all knew the Sabbath rules? Okay. But now they're breaking the rules. I imagine as they're walking along, as they're walking along, they may have been breaking the Sabbath because even today, as I looked at the Sabbath rules, the other layer, I grew up in Pittsburgh and in Squirrel Hill, there were markings on the telephone posts that told you how far apart they were because according to the second layer of rules, you can only walk 0.596 miles from the edge of your town into the wilderness, not 0.597 or nine point six. miles, very specific distance. Otherwise, you're breaking the Sabbath. You could walk anywhere within your town, but there are still today these rules. It doesn't say how far they're outside of town when they come across this grain field. Maybe they had already broken the Sabbath. But now, they're doing something that would be considered work. They're taking the heads of grain, they're eating. What would cause, would they just say, let's just break the Sabbath? We don't know how long they were walking. Perhaps they were hungry. Perhaps they were grumbling. It doesn't say Jesus was eating, but perhaps they said, Jesus, what are we to do? In the law, it does say, if you come across a neighbor's field, you can take some of the grain with your hands, but don't take a sickle to it. That's lawful to have a snack. But this is the Sabbath. Perhaps Jesus said, guys, it's okay, just eat. Perhaps the Pharisees didn't see him, maybe Jesus did eat, but we know that they're eating and they're breaking the Sabbath and they're aware of it. And then, the religious leaders, who happened to be there also, call them on it. Verse 24. The Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? Why was the Sabbath so important? Well, some said if the Jewish nation would truly would truly follow the Sabbath, then the Messiah would come. There was a lot tied up in Sabbath. The religious leaders call them on it. And Jesus responds with verse 27. Skip down a little bit. And Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Here Jesus reframes the law from rules to relationships. The Sabbath was made for man. And this brings us to our third point, three men, Jesus, David, and Saul. Jesus here, in reframing the Sabbath for relationship, tells them a story. Now, he tells them a story out of their own history from from 1 Samuel 21. They would have read it regularly in their synagogue. Perhaps the Pharisees would have had it memorized because they were so spiritual. But this is a story they would have known. The story of David when he was out with his men going into the temple asking for bread and being given the holy bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. They were not allowed to eat it and taking that bread. But let me give you a little background here because it wasn't just about the bread. There's much more to this story. If you back up a little bit from David and the bread. The Israelites have rejected God as king, and they've said, we want a human king like every other nation. So God gives them Saul. And then Saul, very quickly, disobeys two specific commands from God. He disobeys God's instruction, and then God rejects Saul. Saul, in his pride, did his own thing twice when he was exactly told what to do. He's rejected. He had been anointed king. He's rejected, and now the shepherd boy David is anointed to be his successor. So Saul sinned and was rejected, and then God chose David, a man after God's own heart. David then kills Goliath. Many of you probably know that story. He's beloved by the people as they're coming back from that victory. The crowds chanted, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. David's much greater than Saul. Yeah, We already know Saul's not doing well. Now Saul's overcome by jealousy and rage and he wants to kill David. So David is fleeing. He's on the run from This murderous wrath of Saul and he's accompanied by a few men and there is where we pick up the story where he stops for supplies. Take a look at how it goes. So David arrives and the priest's name is Ahimelech. Remember that name, Ahimelech. David said to the priest Ahimelech, the king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and about which I've charged you. Now, then, what do you have on hand? And the priest answered David, I have no common bread, only the holy bread, which David knew what that meant. Then it continues. David then says, Then have you not his spear here or a sword at hand? For I've brought neither my sword or my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, Here's the sword of Goliath. Is David telling the truth? No, he's lying. He hasn't been sent anywhere by the king. The king wants to kill him. He's lying. So David's eating bread that he shouldn't be eating. He's also lying. What's this? What's this all about? David knew the religious rules. David knew Saul had been rejected because of his sin. And yet David lies to the priest. That's the ninth commandment. Remember, we just read the commandments. The ninth commandment was, Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's pretty false witness. David knew he was on mission for God. He was anointed. You think David knew there were consequences for his sin? Yeah, he knew that. He knew at some point he was going to have to give an offering or have a sacrifice to purge him of that sin, but there was a more severe consequence. Because when you read to 2nd, 1 Samuel chapter 22, we read that the king finds out about Ahimelech giving David all of these things. From the, from the chapter in, Matthew, or in Mark, if you have it open, what's the name of the priest? Abiathar, Abiathar, however we want to say it. It's Abiathar. Wait, wait, wait. The priest was Ahimelech. What we read in the next chapter in 1 Samuel 22 is that King Saul calls Ahimelech his entire family and all of the priests from that town, and he slaughters them because they helped David. Every one of them dies except for his one son, Abiathar, who escaped and ran to David and told David. Do you think David then knew the consequence of his lie? Here's this boy who's lost everything. David was chosen by God, anointed to be king, not perfect. He knew there would be consequences. And the consequences, all of their deaths, were a direct result of his decision. What are we to make of that? David's the anointed one, a man after God's own heart. David was humble before the Lord. He maintained a vibrant relationship with God, but yet he was not perfect. We read in the Psalms of David crying out when he's in trouble, praising God when he's blessed. David was humble, confessing his sin. David took Abiathar into his posse. And Abiathar was a priest for a long time in the rule of David. He cared for that young boy. He later cared for Saul's own grandson, Jonathan, his friend's son. The the grandson of his enemy. David was willing to repent when he sinned. He was a man. He was imperfect. He was unable to deliver salvation to God's people by himself. We have Saul, we have David, and then we have Jesus. David was a man after God's own heart, but not the Messiah. Jesus was the Son of Man. Jesus was David's heir, heir to the throne, but was the king. God the son in flesh, the son of man who obeyed his heavenly father's plan, that continued plan of restoration of relationship. Jesus came into the world. He gave his life to satisfy sin once and for all to pay the penalty that was due. God the son lived and died and was resurrected from death to restore every man and every woman into right relationship with God through faith in his name alone. Last week we read John 3.16, so that all who would believe in Jesus would not perish, would not be separated from God, but would have eternal life. Jesus reframed the Sabbath. Not about the rules or the letter of the law, The kingdom of God is here. We are on mission, and we need sustenance. Just as David was on mission, he was called by God, but Jesus was on mission. The rules changed because the Sabbath is made for man, made to restore relationship, and Jesus' whole mission was about relationship with a purpose, Yes, Jesus knows it's the Sabbath, and yes, we are on mission, and he gives his disciples permission. Because this is about relationship with God, not about the letter of the law. Jesus reframed their rules, their religion, back into its proper context, relationship. The Sabbath was made for man, verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath, you see, is a gift from God. It's God's command to his people, to those who worship him. Now today, we are his people if we have faith in Jesus. It's his gift to you and me. It's God's promise that if we will rest and take a day holy unto the Lord, he will provide for us. He will restore us and refresh us. This doesn't mean it's a Sabbath where we rest in between all the work that we're doing. Or where we take a brief nap, but then we keep working. This is cessation of all activity for relationship with God to worship, to be restored, to read his word, to spend time with family and with others in the community so that he can give us what we need. He always gives us what we need. May not be what we want, but he always gives us what we need. Sabbath rules followed solely as rules, will lead to empty religion and legalism. And that's what legalistic religion is. It's primarily about the rules. Live this way, follow these rules, and maybe earn the reward. Surely if I'm better than others, you know how the saying goes. Rules-based religion, though, I think you're aware it's empty. Because the Jews who were more focused on keeping the rules... Were the Pharisees, and they were the ones Jesus he got in conflict with over and over again about they kept the rules, but they were missing the relationship. Jesus challenged the Pharisees. If you have your Bibles open to Mark two, look at the beginning of Mark chapter three again. He entered the synagogue. It's the Sabbath, and then he heals somebody on the Sabbath, and he makes everybody mad. It's not about the rules of the Sabbath. It's about the relationship. He's reframing the law. God's gift in Jesus' life, his incarnation, his acts on the cross, it's all about relationship. Jesus being God's gift, the way. The truth and the life and the only way to the Father. That's good news. And that's a gift of salvation, not one that you can earn. We can never follow the rules well enough to be worthy of that gift. It's a gift that we are but humbly to receive, not that we can earn. Did Abraham earn relationship with God? No. He was chosen by God. It was a gift. Did Israel earn their deliverance from Egypt? No. It was a gift from God, a miraculous gift. Did the disciples earn their status with Jesus? They were chosen. It was a gift. Did mankind do anything to earn the salvation provided through Jesus' blood? No. It's a gift. Relationship with God is a gift, just like Sabbath. It's a gift. Restored relationship with God and new life through faith in Jesus Christ is a gift. It's not earned, it's received. But it doesn't stop there because then it's to be lived. Those who receive the gift and are not changed and do not enter the world different fall short. Fall short of God's plan for salvation because the gift is to be received and then lived. And then, as the world witnesses you in your brokenness, however you are, His light shining through you, that's how the world is transformed and changed. It's not about you being perfect. Because remember from our reading in 2 Corinthians, you're a jar of clay. We have this treasure, this salvation, this light in jars of clay to show that there's the surpassing power of God, surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You're still a jar of clay who needs God's forgiveness every day. His beloved child, whose job it is to proclaim the good news Because that passage continues, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. For we who live are always being given over to death. Life will not be easy. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. What's that word manifested mean? Displayed, revealed, made clear. Salvation in Jesus transforms you. It changes you. It gives you a reason and a purpose and new life that the world needs, that the lost are looking for. Each of you is here this morning. So, my question is why? Why are you here? Some of you may be here because you don't know this Jesus yet. You don't know about God. So, you're here looking into faith. And if If that's true of you, I hope that you've learned more about salvation in Jesus' name. At the minimum, I hope you've learned about the gift of Sabbath rest, but I hope you'll find faith in Jesus. Are you here because church is what you do? The rules of your faith involve attending church somewhere regularly. Are you following a religion of rules? Or are you here because through faith in Jesus you've been given and you've received an amazing gift of new life, of salvation? And you're here because this is the day you get to gather with others to worship a living God who saved you by sending his son and who wants you to be so transformed that the world can see Jesus in your life. That's God's plan for his people. Lord God, thank you for the gift of your law. Thank you for the gift of Sabbath rest. And thank you for sending God the Son, Jesus Christ, to forever redeem all who would believe in him. Thank you that by faith in Jesus we have new life, salvation, and restored relationship with you. Transform us, Lord. Be manifest, be revealed through our lives, our jars of clay, so that we might live as your disciples so that the world might see and know you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.